are in, as I said earlier, Leviticus 13. So open up your Bibles, Leviticus 13. I'm gonna actually do something unusual for Sunday morning. We're gonna cover two chapters this morning. Uh, thankfully, they're both very long chapters. So um, <laughs> 59 verses and 57 verses. But I just wanna give you a heads up. There are some sections here that we are going to motor through. I'm gonna read them because I believe that the entire word is worth hearing. But there are some sections we'll move through very quickly reading uh, some long passages, three different passages, a little longer, and, and then we're gonna hone in on what really matters. So I'm, I'm praying for comprehension, but ultimately we, we want to land at revelation and see what the Lord is trying to say in all of this. So Father, we ask your blessing on the teaching of your word this morning. We pray that you will be with us and that you will teach us I, I, I so often get this picture, Lord, of, of you sitting down there on a hillside in the Galilee. As per rabbinical practice, you sat down and the disciples saw you sit and, and came and gathered around to hear teaching. And so we are before you, gathering to hear you teach. So word of God, we pray by your spirit, teach us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Leviticus, as we have discussed, has more direct quotes of God than any book in the Bible, which makes it very special and very unique. And as Jesus is the word made flesh, John 1.14, we should expect to run into him often. Do you get my reasoning there? That if these, this book contains the, the majority of the words, spoken words of God, of any book in the Bible, that that spoken word should translate into into the word made flesh, Jesus. We should see a lot of Jesus here and recognize a lot of Jesus here. And so if anyone says, you lost me at Leviticus, I say, he found me in the blood. He found me in the blood. Chapter 13, verse one, then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body and if the hair in the infection has turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy when the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. We are in the purification section of Leviticus. Remember, there are five different sections that I, I gave you before. We've already done officiation, the first 10 chapters. Well, now chapters 11 through 16 are all about purification. Everything the Lord deals with in these chapters is about purification, that which is clean, that which is unclean, and making a clear distinction between the two. So in keeping that train of thought that the purification idea, clean versus unclean, we come to chapters 13 and 14 and these take up some particularly unclean troubles that may not be what you think, may not be as it looks on the surface. You see, with few exceptions, most English Bibles call these troubles leprosy. We see the word leprosy throughout. But leprosy, as you might think of it, as, as I originally thought of it, is what's also called Hansen's disease. 
Hansen's disease is the leprosy we think of in our culture, even in our day and age now. I mean, it's mostly eradicated in America. There are still some places where it, is, it ravages people in India and the Far East, some areas in Africa where it is, continues to be a problem and even a life-threatening problem. But Hansen's disease is probably not the culprit here. So when you read the word leprosy, it's probably not what we think. And it's not certainly what I've heard it taught over the years. I've heard Hansen's disease described in detail when this chapter is approached, but it's probably not what we're thinking. The word leprosy, as we see it translated in English, leprosy, is used 55 times in the Old Testament, and it's closer to vitiligo. Now, you may not know, so what's vitiligo? Vitiligo was Michael Jackson's disease that actually post-autopsy on Michael Jackson, they discovered, yes, in fact, he did have vitiligo, which is a disease that causes the pigmentation in the skin to turn white. And, and it's a serious disease. It's an autoimmune disorder. And that is probably closer to what we're looking at here, but it also may be a broad category. When you read leprosy, think in terms of a larger category of maybe more than one kind of disease, and you'll understand that in a minute. Hansen's doesn't turn the skin white. Leprosy, uh, of the serious nature of it, but also of some really funny jokes that I won't use this morning, Hansen's disease is a disease that destroys nerves causes bone deformity, facial nodules, skin ulcerations. Fingernails and toenails will turn dark and drop off, followed by fingers and toes and ears and even the nose of the face. Finally, hands and feet will die off as well. It's horrible. That's Hansen's disease. That's not what we're talking about here. The most obvious difference between leprosy in the Bible and Hansen's leprosy is that this contamination not only marks human skin, as we'll read in verses 1 through 46 of chapter 13, it also corrupts clothing. Wool, linen, leather, Hansen's disease doesn't do that. That's chapter 13, verses 47 through 59, a section there. And finally, we'll find out that it even pollutes the plaster in walls and houses, which we'll read in chapter 14, verses 33 through 53. So it's not just a disease of the flesh. It's of the flesh. It's of the clothing. It's of the walls of a house. As my dad would say, Eddie's disease, there's a fungus among us. I was like that. My dad was such a fun guy. Fungus, fun, fun guy. No, fun guy. So, so how do we end up in this confusion? Why does it translate this leprosy if it's not Hansen's disease as we understand it? Well, leprosy, if you want to jot this down in the Hebrew, you Hebrew scholars, is the word saraat. Saraat. So three syllables, saraat, and it's on human skin, saraat describes scaly, crusty scabbing. That's what that describes. On clothing and in buildings, saraat is used to describe mold and mildew. Now a dangerous or infecting or contaminating, polluting mold or mildew, but still that same word is used of the human skin, but also of clothing and of buildings, houses. The confusion comes from assuming that leprosy is just one specific disease. 
whereas the biblical word for leprosy is far more comprehensive, more of an umbrella of perhaps a number of different possibilities of skin and clothing and home diseases. And it comes from, the confusion comes from the Greek word where we get leprosy, it's the Greek word lepra. And lepra comes from the Greek word lepis, which means scale, crust, or scab. So it's more generic. If someone has a scabbiness on their skin, you don't immediately think, oh, Hansen's disease. No, it could be any one of a number of things. Illnesses like vitiligo or psoriasis or smallpox, measles, scarlet fever, all of these present with whitish scaly rashes or outbreaks on the skin. But the disease and its healing, and here's the main thing to get, is not the main point. Two chapters on leprosy, and leprosy's not the issue. It's not what the Lord is driving at. In chapters 13 and 14, whether it's skin or shirt or shack, there's a pattern to dealing with impurity, uncleanness versus cleanness. Here's the pattern, and I may or may not repeat this, so if you wanna jot it down, you can, but it begins with preliminary symptoms. Whether talking about skin or talking about the house or the clothing, it always begins with a preliminary symptom. Something is noticed, something's, something's wrong. And then it immediately goes to a priestly examination. A priestly examination. That is then followed by either a positive or a negative diagnosis. And finally, a prescription for ritual cleanness. So again, the pattern, and you see this with the skin and the clothing and the house. In these sections, the pattern is followed with all of them, preliminary symptoms of concern, priestly examination, positive or negative diagnosis, and then a prescription for ritual cleanness. But here's the question. Why are they going to a priest? You got a disease, you got a problem with your clothes, something's wrong in the wall of your house, why are you going to a priest rather than to a physician? And it's because, again, God is drawing a distinction. Unlike the pagan nations all around Israel and where they were headed, unlike the pagan nations, the priests were not medicine men. The priests were not healers. This is not about going to the priest to be healed of leprosy, and that is such a vital distinction. It isn't about getting cured, it's about getting clean. Let me say that again, don't miss it. It's not about getting cured, it's about getting clean. That's why the priest is called in. Well, let's look at all three of these. First of all, look at the disease of the skin, the diseased person. Again, verse one of chapter 13 deals with that, says if a man has a skin, beginning in verse two, uh, uh, on the skin of his body, a swelling, a scab, a bright spot, it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. And then of course, we see after the preliminary symptoms, the priestly examination. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body. If the hair in the infection has turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked to him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and if it does not appear to be deeper than the skin and the hair on it has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate him 
who has the infection for seven days. Why? To see what's wrong. Maybe it's just a rash that's gonna go away in seven days, in which case, not a problem. Maybe it's something more serious. Again, I told you, some of these skin rashes can just present as a rash and ultimately be scarlet fever. Or it could be something far more infectious, so you isolate for seven days. That's just wisdom. The priest, verse five, shall look at him on the seventh day, and if his eyes, in his eyes the infection has not changed, and the infection has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him for seven more days. Okay, it's still there, but it hadn't spread. So let's give it a little longer, make sure it's all right. The priest shall look at him again on the seventh day, verse six, and if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's only a scab. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spreads farther on the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall again appear to the priest. The priest shall look at it, and if the scab is spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is sara'at. It's leprosy. When the infection of leprosy is on a man, he shall then be brought to the priest. The priest shall then look, and if there is white swelling in the skin, and it has turned the hair white, and there is quick, raw flesh, that's live, living flesh, so it's gonna, it's gonna be reddish and kind of gross, in the swelling, it is a chronic leprosy on the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. Wait, wait, he shall not isolate him? No, he's unclean now, so now we go into the unclean procedure, he's not just being isolated to test for medical situations, he's, he's unclean. Now you gotta treat him as unclean. Verse 12, if the leprosy breaks out farther on the skin and the leprosy covers all the skin of him who has the infection from his head even to his feet as far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look and behold if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce clean him who has the infection. It's all turned white, he's clean. What? The guy's covered with infection now. No, it's all white, it's all new flesh. So it's healed. That's the implication now. But whenever raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. The priest shall then look at the raw flesh and he shall pronounce him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. It is sara'at, leprosy. Or if the raw flesh turns again and is changed to white, then he shall come to the priest and the priest shall look at him and behold, if the infection has turned to white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. Who has the infection? He is clean. When the body has a boil on its skin and it is healed. And in the place of the boil, there is a white swelling or a reddish white bright spot. Then it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall look, and behold, if it appears to be lower than the skin, and the hair on it is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is the infection of leprosy. It has broken out in the boil. This is great devotional meditation stuff, by the way. But if the priest looks at it, and behold, there are no white hairs in it, it is not lower than the skin, and it is faded, then the priest shall isolate him for seven days. If it spreads farther on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infection. But if the bright spot remains in its place and does not spread and is only a scar on the boil, and the, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or if the body sustains in its skin a burn by fire. Now, wait, this is now something different. We've just been talking about if a scab just shows up, if, if, if something, you know, uh, there's a white spot or a bright spot that just shows up on the skin. Well, now it's someone who gets a burn 
and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a bright spot, reddish white or white, then the priest shall look at it. If the hair in the bright spot is turned white and it appears to be deeper than the skin, it's leprosy, it is broken out in the burn. It's sara'at. You don't get leprosy from a burn, but you do get infection. There's a skin infection problem now. So it's still under this larger umbrella of leprosy, sara'at. Therefore, verse 25 continuing, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infection of leprosy, but if the priest looks at it, and indeed there is no white hair in the bright spot, and it is no deeper than the skin, but is dim, then the priest shall isolate him for seven days, and the priest shall look at him on the seventh day. If it spreads farther in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infection of leprosy. But if the bright spot remains in its place and is not spread in the skin, but is dim, it is the swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is only the scar of the burn. Now this, again, may not matter a whole lot to us today, but to them reading it, it is very clear, distinct prescription for how to test for an infectious disease. This would be great at that time to be able to really think it through and go, okay, well, what, what does he say there? Well, he says this, okay, yeah, but what if this happens? Oh yeah, that's only over here in verse 27, you know? And they could find the exact answer for what's going on. Verse 29, now if a man or a woman has an infection on the head or on the beard, so there's another direction now that we're going. Then the priest shall look at the infection, and if it appears to be deeper than the skin, and there is thin yellowish hair in it, ooh, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a scale. It is leprosy of the head or of the beard. But if the priest looks at the infection of the scale, and indeed it appears to be no deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall isolate the person with a scaly infection for seven days. On the seventh day, you see the pattern here. The priest shall look at the infection. If the scale is not spread and no yellowish hair has grown in it, the appearance of the scale is no deeper than the skin. Then he shall shave himself, but he shall not shave the scale. And the priest shall isolate the person with the scale seven more days. On the seventh day, the priest shall look at the scale. And if the scale is not spread in the skin, it appears to be no deeper than the skin. The priest shall pronounce him clean. He shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scale spreads farther in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall look at him. And if the scale has spread in the skin, the priest uh, need not seek for the yellowish hair. He's unclean. If in his sight the scale has remained, however, and black hair has grown in it, the scale is healed. He is clean. And the priest shall pronounce him clean. When a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, even white spots, then the priest shall look. And if the bright spots on the skin of their body are faint white, it is eczema, and that has broken out on the skin, and he's clean. So good. Those of you who struggle with eczema, not a problem. You're clean. Verse 40. Now if a man loses the hair of his head, he's bald, he is clean. Good to know. Amen. Amen. <laughs> And if his head becomes bald at the front and the sides, he's bald on the forehead. He is clean. Again, hallelujah. But if on the bald head or the bald forehead there occurs a reddish-white infection, it is leprosy, sara'at, breaking out on the bald head or on his bald forehead. And then the priest shall look at him, and if the swelling of the infection is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprosy in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. And the priest shall surely pronounce him unclean, his infection is on his head. Now, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about the worst, the worst student ministry activity I've ever heard, and it was done by the junior high associate of mine at a previous church when he took all the kids out to the mall 
he took a picture, like a Where's Waldo thing, they were doing a Where's Waldo game, a picture of a bald, little bald-headed cartoon character, and he hid it somewhere in the mall, and he told all the kids, what you gotta do is you gotta go find Baldo. Middle school kids fanned out throughout the mall coming up to every bald-headed man asking, are you Baldo? <laughs> not, not a good idea. Got a few phone calls on that one. So that's the diseased person. And, and you look at all this and you read through this and go, wow, this isolation, all these quarantines. <laughs> we know something about that. This is strong medicine. And at times even seems a little harsh, but my friends, it's not about getting cured. It's about getting clean. God's focus here is not physical, it's spiritual. And leprosy, saraat, the disease of the skin is one of the most graphic pictures we've been given in the Bible of the disease of sin. And that's what the Lord is painting for us. Isaiah chapter one, verse five, where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. What are you talking about, Lord? Sin. The issue of sin is infecting you from head to foot, like the skin disease. It is infecting. In fact, like the disease of the skin, sin gets under the skin. Note that throughout all this, the, the priestly test is, is this only skin deep? Is it, is it surfacy or is it deep down underneath? If it's deep down underneath, you got an infection that needs cleansing. Sin gets deep down underneath, infects deep inside, actually grows from the heart itself. Yaakov says in James chapter one, verse 14, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Saraat, the disease that we call leprosy, this disease of the skin, again, gets under the skin, and it's always more than skin deep. However, ultimately, you know what happens? What starts from the heart and grows from within and, and erupts out onto us into our lives, ultimately, people start wearing it on the sleeve. Part two, the contaminated garments. Chapter 47, when a garment has a mark of leprosy on it, whether it is a wool garment or a linen garment, whether in warp or woof, <laughs> which sounds kind of like a dog on a spaceship. Whether in warp or woof, that's weaving or texture of the linen or of the wool, whether in leather or on any article made of leather, if the mark is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather or in the warp or in the woof, in any article of leather, it is a leprous mark. It shall be shown to the priest. So preliminary symptoms there. Then the priestly examination, verse 50. The priest shall look at the mark, shall quarantine the article with the mark for seven days. Gotta put your favorite shirt all off by itself. If there's something on it, something in the fabric, he shall then look at the mark on the seventh day if the mark has spread in the garment, whether in the warp or in the woof, that is the weaving or the texture, or in the leather, whether 
the purpose for which the weather, whatever the purpose for which the leather is used, the mark is a leprous malignancy. It is unclean. So now we have a positive diagnosis. So we shall burn the garment, whether the warp or the woof, in wool or in linen, in any article of leather in which the mark occurs, for it is a leprous malignancy. It shall be, excuse me, burned in the fire. But if the priest shall look, and indeed the mark is not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof or any article of leather, then the priest shall order them to wash the thing in which the mark occurs. He shall quarantine it for seven more days after the article with the mark has been washed. The priest shall again look, and if the mark has not changed its appearance, even though the mark has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire. Whether an eating away has produced bareness on the top or in the front of it, if the priest looks, and if the mark has faded after it has been washed, then he shall tear it out of the garment or out of the leather, whether from the warp or from the woof, and it appears again in the garment, whether in the warp or in the woof or in any article of leather, it is an outbreak. The article within the mark shall be burned in the fire, and the garment, whether the weaving or the texture, or any article of leather from which the mark has departed when you washed it, it shall be washed a second time and it'll be clean. This is the law for the mark of the leprosy in a garment of wool or linen, whether in the warp or in the woof or any, any article of leather for pronouncing it clean or unclean. <sighs> so it's, it's a disease of the skin, saraat, but it's also a malignant mildew in clothing. And that's what sin does. It gets all over everything. It starts internally, it erupts out onto the skin. We start to wear it on the sleeve. It starts to become lifestyle, it's behavior. It's all over what we wear, how we look, how we behave. Sin is everywhere and ultimately sin even infects the home. It starts to spread out in the very walls of the house. Skip down to chapter 14, verse 33. The Lord further spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, when you enter the land of Canaan, which I will give you for a possession, and I put a mark of leprosy on a house in the land of your possession, then the one who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, something like a mark of leprosy has become visible to me in the house. The priest shall then command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to look at the mark so that everything in the house need not become unclean. Get it all out. If there is an uncleanness in the house, move the stuff out of the house so that the whole house doesn't ultimately end up infected. And afterward, the priest shall go in to look at the house. And so he shall look at the mark. And if the mark on the walls of the house has greenish or reddish depressions and appears deeper than the surface, then the priest shall come out of the house to the doorway and quarantine the house for seven days. The priest shall return on the seventh day and make an inspection. If the mark has indeed spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall order them to tear out the stones with the mark in them and throw them away at an unclean place outside of the city. Now, now, wait a minute here. Hang on. Did you notice what he said back in verse 34? When you enter the land of Canaan, shall I give you as a possession, and I put a mark of leprosy on a house in the land. I put, as in God did it, as in God caused the leprosy. What, what does this mean? I put the mark there. Well, it could simply mean that nothing gets by his notice. You know, his divine notice he's fully aware of. But it also may indicate 
punishment for sin in the house. Again, taking this picture of Sarah'at, not only is a skin disease, but a picture of a sin disease, God brings a punishment for sin in the house. I've said this before, no one sins in a vacuum. No one sins thinking this only affects me. Not true, it affects all those around you. You may not see it, you may not be aware of it, but when I sin, it gets not only on my clothes, it gets on my house. It infects and it affects my family, my friends, my church fellowship, my sin, my, it's, it's just my sin, I'm just off doing my own thing. Why is that a big deal? It's not gonna hurt anybody. Yes, it will, because sin is infectious. And this may be an indication of divine punishment for the sin of the house. Jewish writers say it as if the beam of the house had cried to the inhabitant, turn to the Lord thy God. Interesting. Well, continuing, verse Where is it, 41, he shall have the house scraped all around inside. They shall dump the plaster that they scraped off at the unclean place outside the city. They shall take other stones and replace those stones and he shall take other plaster and replaster the house. If, however, the mark breaks out again in the house after he has torn out the stones and scraped the house and after it has been replastered, then the priest shall come in and make an inspection. If he sees that the mark has indeed spread in the house, it is a malignant mark in the house, it is unclean. He shall therefore tear down the house, its stones, its timbers, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall take them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever goes into the house during the time that he has quarantined it, quarantined it becomes unclean until evening. We just don't take sin seriously enough. We really don't. We don't think how it starts to show up in how we present ourselves and what we wear. We don't think about how it starts to infect our homes. We don't think about how those who come into our home, those with whom we have contact, are affected and or infected by our sin choices. It is an infectious disease. Likewise, verse 47, whoever lies down in the house shall wash his clothes and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. If on the other hand, the priest comes in and makes an inspection and the mark is not indeed spread in the house after the house has been replastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the mark has not reappeared. The diseased person, the contaminated garments, pollution in the house. This is a pervasive contamination, this sara'at. Again, from skin to shirt to shack, just like sin. And I repeat, the point of this whole exercise is spiritual. Yeah, there were physical implications. Yes, there were physical disease implications and clothing implications and even home implications that the Lord wanted dealt with, but that's not the main thing. That's not the big deal here. The issue is not the cure, it's the cleansing. Now we're ready for our study this morning. With all that under our belt, all that understanding, now go back to chapter 14, verse one, and listen to the law of leprosy. Here's what you do. Now that the place has been, the person's declared unclean, or the clothing unclean, or the house unclean, there is a law for dealing with the leprosy, a law for making clean before the Lord. And again, we're talking spiritually. 
The cleanliness is being spiritually clean before God. And it's dealt with in chapter 14. By the way, we're not gonna read it this morning, but it's also dealt with almost word for word in verse 49 through 53 of chapter 14 at the end dealing with the house. But we're just gonna take it right here in this section. Chapter 14, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. He shall be brought to the priest, but the problem is there's an unclean issue, so he's already outside the camp. You're unclean, you go outside the camp. So where the priest have to go to get to the person who has the issue? Outside of the camp. I find that interesting. The leper, the infected person, the person with whatever this Sarah'at really was, couldn't enter the camp until he was clean, so the priest had to go outside the camp to meet the leper where he was, and that's where Jesus finds us. That's where he goes, to the outcast, to the exiled, to those outside the camp, unholy, unclean, people without a hope, Jesus comes to us. And by the way, in our case, he came to us before we were even healed. He goes outside the camp. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. I don't remember the first time I heard that verse, but I can tell you I have heard it hundreds if not thousands of times in my life, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is one of the most profound truths in all history. They didn't wait for you to clean it up. He didn't wait for you to memorize some Bible verses. He didn't wait for you to go to church for the commensurate amount of time. While you were unclean outside the camp, our high priest Jesus came out, met you where you were found me where I was. And by the way, where did he die? Outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, so that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate, on the outside, the outskirts of Jerusalem. Now, the big difference between you and me and the leper in, in this teaching, in this law, is that we weren't just infected, we were dead. We were already dead from the disease of sin, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is just awesome. I was dead but brought to life by the blood of Jesus in his death, saved from outside the camp. Now, this is important to note. Christianity is the most, bar none, inclusive faith in the world. It is the most inclusive faith among all faiths and all those others that are all false religions, false teachings, false faith, Christianity is the most inclusive, but it also is the most demanding. The most inclusive, anyone can get saved. The most demanding, you must be made absolutely clean. 
God's standard must be met. And this is the part that a lot of Christians today, a lot of churches are misunderstanding that we are not received by God on the basis of generic inclusion. I'll save everybody. Just save them all. It's good. Doesn't matter where they're from, what their problem is, what their disease is. Just save them all because we want to be inclusive. That's not what the Lord says. Everybody may be saved, but we are saved on the basis of divine healing and ultimate sanctification. Yes, anyone can be brought into the camp, but we gotta be made clean in Christ Jesus. You don't come to God and stay as you are. He comes to you to cleanse you and make you like he is. And that's where it's completely different. All inclusive, open to anybody who cries out the name of Jesus, and yet in that crying out, the expectation, he's gonna make me clean. I cannot continue in the diseased life in which I formerly lived. I now am brought in to be sanctified, cleansed, made holy in the name of Christ. So the priest goes out, watch this. Verse three continues. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of the leprosy has been healed in the leper, has been healed, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. Not cured at this point, cleansed because this leper is already healed. He's already cleansed. This law, or he's already cured. This law is for his cleansing spiritually. This law is for his cleansing in the community of Israel to be able to come back into fellowship and be before the Lord as one of God's people. You gotta be clean. This is not about the cure. He's already cured. If the leprosy or the skin disease has gone away and he's healed and he's healthy, it's all good, good to go. Now the cleansing begins, which is really interesting. Wenham says in his commentary, the Levitical law provided no means of curing skin diseases. The sufferer had to wait in hope of a cure from God without human aid. Only then could he present himself to the priest, but with the coming of Christ, God himself sought out the lepers and he healed them. And that's marvelous. And right here in the leper law, what is being painted for us, what we see in the ritual that they have to go through is a stunning prophetic picture of our cleansing, of, of how we're saved and made clean, just as it was fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Note this, you gotta bring two live clean birds. Gotta be clean birds, two of them, you bring them in. Birds is the word in the Hebrew, siporim. It's where Moses' wife, Zipporah, gets her name. It means little bird. It probably describes a sparrow, a siporim, a sparrow. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? In other words, two insignificant little birds. And that's the picture here. Keep that in mind, insignificant little birds, not even, not even worth a cent. Bring two of these, God says. 
The first little bird, like Jesus, was insignificant. Wait, what, 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 Jesus, insignificant? My friends, he who knew all glory and power and honor and praise in heaven, Philippians 2, 7, he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I can accept the little supreme, the little sparrow as a picture of me and of you, of our insignificance, but of Jesus, absolutely, because Jesus became human, emptying himself, wearing human flesh. The creator became like a little bird, just like one of the rest of us insignificant people. That's what God did in coming in the person of Jesus Christ. The first little bird, insignificant. Verse five, the priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. Weird, right? Hey, the earthenware vessel, which would catch the blood of this first little bird, is a biblical picture of the flesh clay pots, jars of clay, earthenware vessels. The flesh, which is as fragile as clay pots. Listen, Jesus was fragile in the flesh, just like you and me, killable, subject to the illnesses of the flesh. Jesus would have stubbed his toe. Jesus would have felt pain long before the cross. Jesus may have tripped. Jesus could have gotten a pimple. And years ago, it was Max Lucado who wrote about this, that a woman was offended when he said, Jesus may have had zits. My Lord never had zits. <laughs> to which Max said, you better hope he could have if he's really wearing flesh. Like an insignificant little bird. Like an earthenware vessel that is fragile. And Jesus, the word, became flesh fragile flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a dichotomy in this man to be in fragile flesh, and yet to also somehow, remarkably, bear the glory of God. John said, we saw it. Probably referring to the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Jesus in his glory and realized in that moment he was much more than what they had thought. But this is amazing. He became insignificant and, and fragile. And this little bird, this little insignificant bird is slain and the blood drained into this earthenware vessel over, get this, over running water. That is a stream or a brook. They had to find a, a place where water was running and they performed this ritual over that, over that stream. But the phrase in the Hebrew, running water, is mayim chayim, which is literally living water. Living water. Insignificant little bird. Blood slain into this earthenware vessel over living water. Jesus said, John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John says, by this he spoke of his spirit. The fragile vessel then is Jesus, like the first little bird, slain, yet the living water of his spirit remained very much alive. That's the beauty of the crucifixion. His body dead, laid in the tomb, but his spirit was yet alive. 
And there's so many verses we could go to to talk about. I don't have time this morning about what he did in those three days while his body lay in the tomb, what his spirit was busy undertaking. <laughs> undertaking, no pun intended. <laughs> Hebrews 9.28 says, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of the many. The picture is brutal and clear. Offered means killed. Having been killed once, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. That is living water, the spirit that never died. Spirit of Christ alive. And those who eagerly await him will hear his voice when he calls us home. By the way, who are those who eagerly await him? The second little bird. The second little bird. Continue on, verse six. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet string, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times, seven times, that picture of completeness, the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and let the live bird go free over the open field. This is just mind-blowing. He shall take cedar wood, which is a picture of the cross, Reminding us very simply, very obviously of the wood of the cross, he'll take scarlet string, which throughout the scripture speaks of the strain of the disease of sin. A scarlet string, Isaiah 118, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Take the cedar wood, take a scarlet string and get some hyssop. Hyssop, what's that for? Hyssop in the Bible is always for the application of cleansing. Note that, for the application of cleansing. First time we saw it used was Exodus 12, 22. In the preparation for the Passover, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that's in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts so it's the application of the blood. That's what the hyssop is for. David says in Psalm 51, verse seven, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. So with these three things, the wood, the string, the hyssop, you got the cross, the disease of sin, and the application of cleansing. By the way, John 19, 29 tells us that they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and they brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, the application, if you will, he said, to Talus die. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. On the wooden cross, Jesus applied his own cleansing blood for our scarlet sin. The picture is beautiful and it's perfect. Like the leper is pronounced clean and free of his skin disease, so in Jesus we have been set free, pronounced clean of our sin disease. And Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And what happens, by the way, to the second little bird then? I mean, imagine being the second little bird. This is a weird process. I'm being dipped in my brother's blood with a piece of wood and some string. What is going on here 
and then set free. And I, I bet when that little bird was set free, he got out of there. <laughs> I'm done with these weird people. Hey, this is beautiful. It's picture perfect. The live bird is set free over the open field just as we will be when we are caught up together with the dead in Christ in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we shall forever be with the Lord. You're the little bird set free. And one day soon, we're gonna fly when Jesus calls us home. But the picture doesn't end there. Keep going, look at verse eight. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe in water and be clean. Now that's squeaky clean, by the way. Now afterward, he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. It will be on the seventh day he will shave off all his hair. He shall shave his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair, he shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and he will be clean. You ever seen someone who's shaved it all off? No eyebrows? It's weird. <laughs> what does this shaved, washed, hairless, clean individual look like now? Like a little baby? Like a freshly washed newborn baby. Jesus said, John 3, 3, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. So there's a picture of newness, of, of brand new, clean, infantile, born againness even in this picture of the, of the leper who now has been healed and is being cleansed before the Lord by this remarkable, odd, strange procedure. This is more packed with prophetic pictures than almost anywhere else in the entire Bible, right here in this little chapter, Leviticus 14. Directly connecting this cleansing ritual to the greatest offering that has ever been made. But keep going. Verse 10. Now on the eighth day, he is to take two male lambs without defect and a yearling ewe lamb without defect and three-tenths of an ephah of a fine, of fine flour mixed with an oil for a grain offering and one yule log, no, no, one log of oil. <laughs> a log of oil is a pint, roughly. So as we read the word log, you're just it's about a pint of oil. And the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed and the aforesaid, that is all these elements, the two male lambs, the yearling, ewe lamb, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour, and a log of oil, all of that brought together before the Lord with the man to be cleansed at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then the priest shall take the one male lamb and bring it for a guilt offering with the log of oil and present them as a wave offering before the Lord. Next he shall slaughter the male lamb in the place where they slaughter the sin offering and the burnt offering at the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering. So he's giving a guilt offering at the altar in the courtyard now. Like the sin offering belongs to the priest, it is most holy. Realize now this guy who was outside the camp and isolated for who knows how long, now not only is brought into the camp, he's brought into the very courtyard. He's there with the priest at the altar 
as these sacrifices are being made on his behalf, what does that say to the value of the individual before God that he's brought all the way in? And this cleansing is for him. And it says then, like the sin offering, verse 13, the guilt offering belongs to the priest, it is most holy. Verse 14, the priest shall then take some of the blood of the guilt offering. And the priest, watch this, shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. The priest shall also take some of the log of oil and pour it into his left palm. The priest shall then dip his right hand finger into the oil that is in his left palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of the oil seven times before the Lord, speaking of its completeness, and then the priest shall dip his hand, or of the remaining oil, sorry, verse 17, the remaining oil which is in his palm, the priest shall put some on the right earlobe of the one to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the blood of the guilt offering. So now you've got blood and oil on the earlobe, on the thumb, and on the toe while the rest of the oil that's in the priest's palm, he shall put it on the head of the one to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf before the Lord. It's such a beautiful picture. Because now after all these other things have been done, he's brought in, he's brought before the Lord. Sacrifice again is made and offered, the guilt offering, everything's paid for. And then blood and oil. Blood and oil on the right earlobe and on the thumb and on the big toe. Hey, that's what they did with the priests. The leper is now being treated like a priest because my fellow one-time lepers, you are priests. We are now a royal priesthood. In fact, this cleansed leper now looks like a newborn priest. <laughs> you. 1 Peter 2.9, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 19, the priest shall next offer the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanness. He shall then afterward offer or slaughter the burnt offering and the priest shall offer up the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him, and he will be clean. But note this, and I love this. If he is poor and his means are insufficient, then he is to take one male lamb rather than two male lambs for a guilt offering as a wave offering to make atonement for him, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour rather than three-tenths, with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil and two turtle doves or two young pigeons rather than a yearling ewe lamb, which would be more expensive to bring, which are within his means, verse 22, the one shall be a sin offering and the other shall be a burnt offering. And then the priest does the same thing offering-wise that we just read with these articles, with these things brought by the person who just doesn't have the means to bring what was originally required, you can bring this. Priest does the same thing all the way down to verse 32, which says this is the law for him in whom there is an infection of leprosy whose means are limited for his cleansing. And that is you. And that is me. We come to the Lord with, with limited means, with the inability even to pay one iota 
for what is required for our cleansing. He paid it all. He took care of it. Understand this, it is not your means that make you clean. It is not your means which make you clean with respect to Ron and Linda means. <laughs> They're not gonna make you clean. It's not what you have, it's what he's done that makes us clean. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. We come to him with no means and he makes us completely clean. And that just about covers it. The leper law, the person, the garments, the house, examined, diagnosed, pronounced. And again, verses 49 all the way down through uh, 53 is a repeat of the process in verses one through seven of chapter 14. So we've covered everything here, but just in case anyone is still unclear or unconvinced about what this law is for, what it was designed to do both then and now, look at verse 54 of chapter 14. This is the law for any mark of leprosy, even for a scale, and for the leprous garment or house, and for a swelling, and for a scab, and for a bright spot. Why? Verse 57 to teach when they are unclean and when they are clean. This is the law of leprosy. The point is to teach. The whole point is to explain, to describe, to expound on what is clean and what is unclean, to teach the people how to make a distinction between impure and pure, unclean, clean, unholy, holy in this purification section of Leviticus. But there's one last thing I've got to show you here. I had never seen this before this week, never realized this before. So this is brand new for me. The leper law introduces a little known but absolutely vital role for a particular member of the priesthood. Look back at chapter 14, verse 11. Leviticus 14, 11. It says, and the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed, and the aforesaid before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. The priest who pronounces him clean is the ha-kohen ha-metacher. Ha-kohen and some rabbis actually see this as a job title. They will call him the purificatory priest. The purificatory priest, the priest who purifies, the priest who pronounces clean. And here's the reality. This priest who pronounces clean would have had the most boring job in all the priestly ministry for 1,500 years. Why? because only one person was ever healed of Sarah'at. And he wasn't even a Jew. From the beginning of this law to the end of the law, only one person that we know of in the scriptures was ever fully healed of this skin disease so as to be presented before the priest. And that one person was Naaman the Syrian. Wasn't even a Jew, so the law didn't apply to him. Jesus points that out, Luke 4, 27, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed. 
but only Naaman the Syrian. That infuriated the Jewish people to hear that, that God healed a non-Jew, an outsider, a Gentile. And Naaman, being a Gentile, would not have been bound by this law. So even if the little purificatory priest got excited, oh, hey, that guy got healed. Hey, he's not a Jew. Oh, I'll be in the back playing solitaire. Let me know when I'm needed. <laughs> this is so amazing to me because the effect in the Bible is to see something absolutely stunning and unique and if you turn in your Bibles over to Matthew 8, we'll bring this all together. Matthew chapter 8 in the New Testament. Matthew 8. Verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Notice he doesn't say, be healed. Notice the leper doesn't say, if you're willing, you can heal me of my leprosy. He says, you can make me clean. It's a totally different thing when you come at it from the Hebrew perspective of the law and comprehending what being cleansed was all about, that it was not a physical thing, it was a spiritual reality, and this leper wanted to be cleansed before the Lord, and this leper somehow recognized that this Jesus was a purificatory priest, had the capability of making him clean, and of course, Jesus says, I am willing to be cleansed, and immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So yes, he was healed, but he was also clean. And yet, Jesus says to him, verse four, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony, not to the leper who knew he was clean, but a testimony to them, that is the priesthood, who needed to know something was now on the scene. All of a sudden, Jesus arrives, begins his ministry, and healed lepers are showing up at the temple, offerings in hand to be pronounced lawfully clean. Something that had not happened. Call the purificatory priest. Where is he? I don't know. He's out playing golf today. I don't know. He didn't have any use. But all of a sudden, oh, look over at Matthew chapter 11. Flip over there. Matthew 11, verse 2 which says, now, John, that is John the Baptist, while imprisoned, heard, the works, heard of the works of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? I love John the Baptist. You know what? John knew who Jesus was. John had already proclaimed him the lamb who would take away the sin of the world. John knew. John saw in his baptism the spirit descend on him. John declared that, witness to the Christ, but now John's been in prison. Talk about a quarantine away from people, and he's discouraged. And he's beginning to wonder, did I miss it? Now, I'm sure none of you have ever felt that way. Did I do something wrong here? Am I off a little bit? Did I miss what's going on? Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, 
and deaf hear and dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who doesn't stumble over me. Blessed is he who doesn't recognize who I am or who does, who, who doesn't not recognize who I am. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble. Look at me, keep your eyes on me and you're not gonna stumble. Can you even imagine what the priests must have thought in the temple during this short season? Every time the call went out to wake up the purificatory priest. Hey, Marv, call out Eliezer. We need him again. What's going on here? And here's the thing, that Jesus is both offering and priest. He is the little bird slain insignificant, drained of his blood, yet living water, his spirit fully alive. He is the little bird slain, but he's also the priest who pronounces clean. He is the purificatory priest. Have you heard him say it? And you are clean, and you are clean, and you are clean, and you are clean. Jesus is the one who makes clean. First John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. And what what was it like? What was it like not just for the priesthood as they were witness to and they're seeing all this take place What was it like for the leper? What was it like when the purificatory priest said, you are clean? Lawfully, by Torah, you're clean. Never would have imagined, but here he is, clean. Offered up the sacrifices, you're standing there, all this taking place, your life is radically changed forever, standing there, a hairless wonder, looking like a brand new little baby, being treated like a priest. What was it like for the leper? How, how would you respond if, if it was you? How, how does a leper healed and cleansed respond? Well, we have one final example, and it's over in Luke 17, verse 11. You can turn there, but I'm just gonna start reading. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee and he entered a village and 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices saying, Yeshua, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now I love this. He doesn't pronounce them clean. He doesn't touch them like the other leper. He just says, go present yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. They're walking along with their scabs and boils and whatever the issue was, and all of a sudden, whew, they're completely clean. Why does Jesus do it that way? To give them an opportunity. Watch this. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And when Jesus answered and said, We're not 10 cleansed, but the nine. Where are they? 
Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Just amazing that all these others went on their clean and merry way, suddenly recognize they're clean and off they go and one turns back, a foreigner, a Jewish outsider, and in full unabashed public view, falls down at the feet of Jesus the Messiah to say thank you, thank you. Does your life reflect that kind of shameless thanksgiving? Do people see that in you, see that in me? People who turn back to Jesus again and again, our purificatory priest, to thank him for the healing and the cleansing. No matter what else is happening in life, here we are at the tail end of this week of Thanksgiving, and I'm watching the world have a real hard time being thankful for anything right now, and I think we have been cleansed, healed and made clean by the priest who purifies Jesus Christ. And if all our lives reflected that kind of thanksgiving, like that one leper, what a witness that would be to this world. If people in this season of COVID-19 saw the church as a people who were just thankful for Jesus, thankful that we have been made whole, thankful, as Les prayed earlier, that we have an unshakable kingdom out before us, thankful in all these things, not beaten down and worn out and sick and tired and griping and complaining, but thankful in Jesus' name. That's why you're here this morning, right? That's why you show up. It's why we worship. It's why we sing even when we're told not to. It's why we pray. It's why we go back to his word again and again. And I once had a sin disease. From the sole of the foot to the head, nothing sound. But now I'm clean. And now I am set free. And now I am just standing here waiting to fly over the open field. And that's the promise to you and to me. And that's why we we have hope, and we are a thankful people. But maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel leprous, untouchable. <laughs> maybe you just don't want to face it and deal with it. Maybe you think you're too far gone. Maybe you think your sin is just too deep under the skin, and there's no possibility for healing right now. Jesus Christ comes out to you this morning, the purificatory priest, and he says to you, if you are willing, I will make you clean. If that's you this morning, he's here now to make and pronounce you clean forever. Let's stand up together. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you've never known the freedom and the cleansing that comes of his blood, I invite you to pray right now, wherever you are with me. Let's bow. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner.
I come from a place of disease and I'm asking for your healing. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll forgive me of my sin and make me clean. I accept your blood sacrifice as taking my place on the cross. I believe in your spirit alive and that you rose from the dead. And this morning I receive you as my Lord and my Savior, as my purificatory priest. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are clean today. And for the rest of us, let's continue to pray, Father, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and honor and power and praise and glory to your name. All the gratitude in our hearts we lay before you as our offering of worship this morning because you have made us clean. Because you have called us clean. By the blood of Jesus, we all who were dead in our transgressions are made alive in Jesus forevermore. We have such hope, such joy. And may our thanksgiving overflow in this season, in this world. I pray, Lord, that what people will begin to now hear from the church and from Christians is not complaints about how we're being treated as much as joy and rejoicing at how you treated us at the cross at what you did for us that fills us with, as Peter said, Lord, joy inexpressible. We give thanks this morning from the deepest place, from the most healed place of our lives, from our very spirits, Lord, we give thanks to you for making us clean and holy. And we ask and invite you, just keep doing your sanctifying work in us. Whatever it takes, Lord, to scrape off all the scabs that we might be a, a bride, pure and spotless, washed by the water and the word. And all the while saying, and we say it again this morning, we say it again right now, thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.